0: We're in Acts chapter 2, y'all there? Say amen if you're there. Okay, the Bible says in verse 1, "...when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting." And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Father, we pray today. God, we pray today. God, our our heart, our collective heart of prayer is signaling to you. God, we want to engage in your presence. God, we want to be connected to you and to what you're doing today. We don't want to just be present in the room without engaging into your presence. And Father, we pray that as we are praying and engaging in your presence, that you would mercifully and graciously pour out your power upon our lives. God, that there would be the moving of your spirit as of a mighty rushing wind. And God, every gift, every child of yours that is a gift bearing son or daughter of the living God would be empowered for the ministry that you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. Life hack. Lifehack says the top three steps that you need to take to bring your dreams to pass, are you ready for this? The top three steps that you're like, what does Lifehack know? Let me tell you what Lifehack knows. The top three steps you need to take to bring your dreams to pass are, number one, be confident and positive, number two, visualize your dream, and number three, this is deep wisdom uh, from the deep well of Lifehack, make every step fun, make every step fun. So to bring your dreams to pass, Lifehack says... Be confident and positive, visualize your dream, make every step fun. I think that the second step there, uh, visualize your dream, has been really popularized in our culture today. Maybe not in those words. Uh, You might be uh, familiar with a a more prominent word that's used today when talking about bringing um, your dreams to pass through visualization. The word's called manifesting or manifest. Have you heard that word kicked around today? Anybody, raise your hand if that's you. All right, well, you all learned something today. Here, here you go. The idea is this, that you can use your thoughts or feelings and beliefs to bring something into the physical realm, to, to make it a physical reality. This philosophy has been popularized by people like Oprah, Conor McGregor. Uh, there's a best-selling book. I'm not suggesting that you read it. It's called The Secret. It sold something like 35 million copies. And the idea, listen, it's not a new idea. It's just being repackaged. It's an old idea. It's new ageism. There's a book that Robert Schuller wrote that kind of gives you an idea of what fundamentally this philosophy is about. Uh, His book was called The Power of Positive Thinking. The premise is like attracts like. And so, if you're a positive person, you're thinking positively, you're conveying positively, you're engaged with people in a positive way. The world, the world is going to respond to you by bringing positive things into your life. And then the converse is true as well. If you're a negative person and you have negative thinking and negative dispositions and negative ways of communicating with people, well, that's what you're going to experience because the world is going to respond in that uh, framework. A prominent figure in this community said this she said i like to look at manifestation as just a fancy word for being a creative force in your own life now maybe a lot of you haven't heard um, of this philosophy or this word but there are a lot of people today who were saying to me pastor do christians can christians practice manifestation or manifesting is this a biblical practice for us do christians believe in manifesting And I want you to hear me out on this. The answer is yes, we do believe in manifesting, but let me tell you what we believe. We believe in a divine creator who manifests his will in our lives through answered prayer offered in Jesus' name for our empowering and for the sake of God's kingdom, right? That's what we believe, that's what we believe. Uh, we, We don't believe the Bible teaches that you can conjure your own reality up. We don't believe the Bible teaches law of attraction in that regard. We believe in a divine creator, a divine creator who manifests His will in our lives through answered prayer offered in Jesus' name for our empowering and for his kingdom. I'm saying to you today that if you really want to see manifestation happen in your life, you need to to get back to some good old-fashioned praying. You need to be a man or a woman that is just committed to prayer. And the house of God responded to give God glory, right? Because the thing is this, we're talking about being a strong church, and if you read the book of Acts, how many of you have read through the book of Acts? Raise your hand. All right. You know that the church, the early church, was strong. I didn't say to you the early church was perfect. The early church was not perfect. The early church had problems. Some people say, you know what, pastor? Why can't the church be more like the early church? The early church was perfect. I'm like, "Uh, you know what? You go home. You open up 1 Corinthians. And you read 1 Corinthians, and then you come back to me. Or you read Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. Let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Let's talk about uh, the Hellenistic widows and the Hebrew widows and the division and conflict that happened within weeks of the inception of the church. Look, the church is not a perfect place. Any place you have a whole bunch of sinners gathering together, right. right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, Pastor, I'm not a sinner. Then we got something else to talk about, (laughs) sister. But anytime you have a whole bunch of people gathering together who are sinners being sanctified into the image of Jesus Christ, you're going to have some issues, right? There's going to be some problems. However, the early church was strong, there was a strength that they had tapped into. Um, If you were to read the 28 chapters of the book of Acts with this intention hey, I'm going to survey those things that made the church strong, um, I think that you would come up with a really solid list, of course, and at the top of that list, you would say, well, it was the Holy Spirit that made the church strong, right? Because the book of Acts really isn't the Acts of the Apostles. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It's the, uh, let me say it again. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have a book of Acts. But I would say second on that list, from my point of view at least, you would have to conclude that the strength of the early church was rooted in prayer. They were a praying people. They were a praying people. They were a praying people that engaged the presence of God and as a result of that, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I think as you, if you're gonna do an honest survey of church history, you're gonna discover that all those moments When the church was really a powerful influence in the world for the gospel, you're going to discover that all those times were times where the people of God were praying together. I'm talking about together prayer. I'm talking about corporate prayer. I'm saying that when we gather together, if we prioritize prayer as the people of God, amazing things happen. Together, prayer has always been the key to spiritual vitality and power throughout church history. Some of you, I know, have watched the movie Jesus Revolution, and um, and you know, like, you, you hear the history of what happened during the Jesus Revolution. You watch the movie, and for sure, you know, there were people that God powerfully used to bring to pass a, an amazing spiritual awakening in Southern California. What you may not know is all of that was birthed in a 24-7 prayer commitment at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, like, you, you may not know that. You may not know that because it's not talked about very often. I was going to church at Costa Mesa when that 24-7 prayer commitment came to an end. And I remember Pastor Chuck talking about the significance of being committed to prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They had people on rotation who were regularly passing off the baton and carrying on the purposes of God in prayer not just with Calvary Chapel, but you look back at the great awakenings in, in our nation um, and you know, the other three great awakenings. I don't have time to go into the history, but uh, without exception, I'm saying to you, without exception, hey, how many of you wanna see a great awakening in our nation today? Yeah, let, let, me, let me just give you some news today. That's not gonna happen without a real serious commitment to prayer. And as you survey the Great Awakenings in our nation, you can trace every one of them back to a group of people, sometimes starting as small as like 10 or 20 or 50 and then multiplying people who were really serious about praying and seeking the face of God. In the 18th century, 19th century in London, there was this organization that was birthed called the London Missionary Society, And all of the great missionaries historically that you probably love, I'm talking about Amy Carmichael, Gladys Alward, I'm talking about Hudson Taylor, they were all birthed through the London Missionary Society and the London Missionary Society was birthed in prayer. I think about Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians, a group of people, a small group of people that were dedicated to walking in Christ's likeness and to really lean into prayer. There were just a handful of them that started this 24-7 prayer commitment in the 16th century. And from that, the whole world over the course of time was touched with missionaries. That 24-7 prayer commitment by the Moravian Church has continued for the last 600 years. I know. I know. Some of you are like, I can't even pray for 60 minutes, man. I mean, let alone for 600 years. I think about the Desert Fathers and and then, of course, the early church. All I'm saying to you today is this. The church is empowered when it engages God's presence through prayer. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now, I want you just to step back for a second and consider these verses because uh, you're going to see this laid out really clearly. Uh, the disciples had gathered together. They're in the upper room. Acts chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, somewhere around there, indicates to us that they had been committing themselves to prayer as they were gathered together. So there's 120 people. They're waiting on... The coming of the Holy Spirit for the filling, for the baptism. They're praying and seeking the face of God, signaling to God that they want to be engaged in his presence. And what happens is the Spirit of God falls. The presence of God is manifested through a mighty rushing wind and divided tongues of fire that rested upon each of the disciples. So you have prayer, you have presence, and then you have an empowering. You have spiritual gifts that are given to each of the disciples for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I want to tell you today, prayer engages us into God's presence. Prayer engages us into God's presence. Prayer engages us into God's presence. Sometimes as a pastor, and I talk to my pastor friends about this, um, it's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing that sometimes when you hit the topic of prayer, uh, the response of God's people sometimes is to tune out instead of to tune in. You say, man, that sounds crazy. Well, let me tell you something else that's crazy. Um, We can have, you know, we can have a, We can have a potluck. We can have a meeting and say, hey, guys, guess what? We're also going to have food. Julie's laying out watchdogs, and, you know, the guys are going to come, grandpa, uncle, brother, whatever, however it works. Um, And she's like, uh, and there's also going to be pizza. Because you know how it is. Food draws people, right? And then you're like, yeah, well, you know what? Jesus liked food too. It's biblical, Pastor. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, have a prayer meeting. We can have a concert, we can have a potluck, and we can get a lot of people to come to that. Have a prayer meeting, and what you discover is so few people are really committed to prayer. It is not necessarily inspiring, it is not immediately engaging. Sometimes the thought is, yeah, prayer, I mean, that's just such a normal, common thing, you know, it's just prayer. And I say, it's just prayer? Like, I mean, we're talking about us being able to engage the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and the people of God say, it's just prayer. You know, you have a prayer meeting, and it's like, well, it, you know, first question, is there food there? Is there food there? Because if there's food, I might show up, but if there's not food, what, what, what do you really have? And my answer is this, we've got God. Like, we've got God, we get to engage God. We get to engage God and to be in His presence. Hey, when you pray, you are signaling to God that you want to connect with Him. When you pray, you are signaling God that you want to connect with Him. When you rolled into this place today, when you rolled into, the, into this place, I wonder, I wonder if you've prayed yet. I wonder if you've signaled to God yet that you want to engage in His presence I wonder if, like, you've, you've sent the flag up to God to indicate that you're ready to receive all those things that He has for you. You know, you can be in the same room with someone, but not necessarily be engaging their presence. You can be around somebody, but not with somebody. Do you know what I'm saying? Years ago, Alec and I, we uh, went to a UFC fight, um, which was you know, sorry if that offends your sensibilities, but it was a great fight. You know, there were so many great things happening. And this was some time ago, you know, so this was when Conor McGregor was like at the apex of his celebrityism. And we're hanging out, you know, we were down uh, on the floor. We had some connections. And, you know, Conor rolls into the arena and all the lights are on him and everyone's looking at him. And, you know, um, there's a lot of other stuff that's happening, but, man, when his presence was in the room, it was palpable. You could see people were attracted to his presence, and you could feel, you could feel his presence even though you weren't um, connected to him. Well, we had a connection, and so, you know, we were marched on over to Connor. We got to meet him, put his arms around us, and uh, then I took him out. No, I I didn't take him out, Obviously. (laughs) And we got a picture, and I'm just telling you the difference of, like, of, of being in a room where his presence was, the difference between that and stepping into his space and engaging him was significantly different, significantly different. You say, well, why are you saying that today? Because there's a lot of people that are in a room who are experiencing the presence of God in other people's lives but not their own. Like you can be in this house, you can be in this room. Room and yet not necessarily engaging God. God wants to be engaged by you. You say, Well, how do I engage God? You engage God through prayer. You're in the right place. You're in the right place, but are you engaged with God in His presence? You know, Jesus, He cleansed the temple twice. And there was one time that he cleansed the temple and he made a real significant correction for the people. He said, you know what? This house is supposed to be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, the temple, the gathering place of God's people, this is supposed to be where people come and connect to God, you got, but you got everything else going on here accept real engagement, real connection. You've created a situation where the people are in the right spot, but they're not engaging God. Now, let me tell you something. Today's temple is not a physical building. Today's temple is God's people. We are the the house of the living God corporately together. And so the correlation today is this. It's not what's happening in the building. It's what's happening in our corporate gathering, person to person, together as a people. Are we prioritizing prayer? Can we say that this is a house of prayer? Do we have everything else going on but not really prioritizing prayer among us? Because it's not supposed to be a house of entertainment. It's not supposed to be a house of intellect or activism, or ritualism, or sacrifices, this first and foremost is to be a house of prayer. Prayer engages your spirit with God. You know, when you came in today, when you were getting out of your car, were you praying to God and saying, God, I want to I engage your presence today? God, I want to engage your presence today. I'm getting out of the car. You know, I'm, I'm walking in to get a cup of coffee from beyond. And all the while, you're like, God, please, my hands are open. My heart is open. My ears are open. I'm ready. God, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. God, you have my full attention. I, I need your correction. I need your encouragement. I need your strengthening. God, I need you to search my heart. I want to engage in your presence and I don't want anything getting in the way of engaging in your presence. I don't want anything to come between you and me. And so, Father, like David said, search me and know me. Try me and show me if there's any wicked way within me. God, I pray today before I even get into the lobby, Lord, I don't have much to offer. You know I'm just, I'm just me, but God, I know you can use just me. And so give me a divine appointment God, send me to somebody that needs an uplifting. There's a lot of suffering and discouragement in the world today, and I'm not just coming to get God. I want to come to give. God, when I sit down, divinely appoint the person that's supposed to sit next to me So I can do more than just shake the hand and say hi to them. I can get to know them. I can ask them what they need prayer for. All I'm saying, do you guys know where I'm going with this? The fact is this, we can roll in, we can consume, and we can roll out and never even once pray to God. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor, you prayed. That's your job. (laughs) The, The worship leaders are praying, You know, I mean, people are praying, and and it's good for other people to pray for you, but other people can't do your praying for you. Other people can't do your praying for you. No, you and I need to be praying and seeking God's face. This is the thing about prayer. God hears. God hears us. Prayer makes no distinction between intellect, wealth, beauty, influence, network, Prayer makes no distinction between those who don't have and those who do have. It makes no distinction between those in power and the powerless. God hears everyone who is willing to engage his presence through prayer. And so I'm just saying right now, right now as you pray in faith through Jesus Christ, because you know faith is the language of prayer, right now as you pray the almighty transcendent God here's your prayers. I'm pausing on that, and I'm getting a drink. You let that soak in for a moment, all right? The early church prayed because they were desperate to engage God's presence. Pause. The early church prayed. They prayed all the time because they were desperate to engage the presence of God. Remember from the Early church point of view, Jesus lived a perfect life. He ministered through miracles, signs, and wonders. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. They lost the physical presence of Christ. So how did they engage the presence of God? Well, they did that through prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says this, the Bible Um, Talking about the early church, all these, the Bible says, all these with one accord. Doesn't say in one accord. Doesn't say in a Honda accord. First service didn't even laugh at that. I'm like, you guys need to lighten up, man. You guys seriously got a problem. All these with one accord. Check this. I, I love these words out. We're devoting themselves. Such a good word, right? We're devoting themselves. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to today? Man, we can be devoted to our clothes and our wardrobe, our cars and our homes and our job and our ambitions and our upward mobility. Man, they were devoting themselves to prayer together with a woman with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, and then it goes on to say, um, after Peter's preached, 3,000 have been um, born again, the church is growing exponentially, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, the early church was desperate to engage the presence of God, and they did that collectively by praying together. I want you to notice as well, they also prayed when there were problems. They prayed when there were problems. The early church had a lot of problems. There was a lot of issues. There was a lot of persecution. What I love about the early church was their reflex in suffering and difficulty was to pray. Their reflex was to pray, when there was adversity, when there were challenges, when there was opposition from the government, when there was opposition from the religious leadership. You know, their reflex wasn't activism. Their reflex wasn't to trust in their own abilities or influence. Their reflex was not to trust in their connections because the early church did not have political or religious connections. Their reflex was to go to God in prayer because, listen, God's all they had. God is all they had. Peter gets thrown into prison after James is martyred for his faith. And the Bible says in Acts twelve five. so Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer, I want you just to sit on that for a second, earnest prayer heartfelt prayer, pleading type of prayer, beseeching type of prayer, probably pouring out their prayers to God with with cries, pleading with God to deliver Peter in earnestness in their prayer. The, The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much. The word fervent means to boil over. Like, when's the last time you were boiling over in prayer for something? When's the last time you were so burdened? You know, and I say this to myself too, I'm not beating up on you today, but when's the last time you were so burdened over the lostness of a soul that it was like you couldn't sleep? You couldn't sleep. You're just pouring your heart out in prayer to God. You know, that's earnest Prayer. And then, you know, the answer to it, Peter is miraculously delivered, and so he comes to his senses. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, because that's where all the praying happened. The mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together, and what were they doing? They were, yeah. Hey, my hope after this message is that our prayer meetings are going to be filled to overflowing. I just... I just have to tell you. And if they're not, I'm hunting you down. Like, that's just, that's what's going to happen. And listen, not only that, but um, they've been ministering, they've been preaching, the church has been growing, there's been huge opposition, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I mean, they've been persecuted for their faith, they've been beaten for their faith. What do they do? The Bible says, and when they had prayed... And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Look, I told you before we started this point that all the early church had was God. Like, they didn't have anything else to lean on or rely on or look to. All they had was God. And I just would say to you, God was enough for them, right? I mean, they've got all this persecution. The the Roman government is totally against them. The Sanhedrin is trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. And if you go back and you read this prayer, like they're not on their heels. They're not in hiding. There's not a lack of courage. They're not living in fear. They're not like throwing their hands up in the air saying, oh God, what are we going to do now? Look what the government's doing to us. No, you go back and read that prayer because they, they they recount Psalm 2 to God, and and they're like, hey, listen, you know what? You hold the nations in derision. You hold all the nations in derision. You laugh at their attempts to overthrow you. You are God, and if you are on our side, who can stand against us? I'm just, I'm saying to you today, the disposition of prayer reminds us that, that you know what? We don't need anyone or anything else except God. We live in a culture where we've got so much, y'all. We've got so much, right? We have so much that we can lean on and rely on. Our reflex oftentimes isn't to turn to God immediately. Why? Because we've got money, we've got resources, we've got access to resources. You lose your job. Hey, that's not good, but at least I've got unemployment. The government will take care of me. Hey, you know what? Before the government takes care of you, God wants to take care of you. And I'm not, I'm not, I am not against unemployment or government help in that regard. I'm just saying, you know, the tendency sometimes is this we don't look to God first. We don't look to God first. We've got a government that will take care of us, we've got a medical system that will heal us. We've got relationships that will sustain us. We've got therapists and pastors who will guide us. And if we're not careful, you know what happens is we start to look to those things and we stop looking to God. We start relying on our possessions. We start relying on our influences. And you know the Father loves us so much. You're not going to like this part. He loves us so much that when we're leaning hard on everything else but Him, you know what He'll do? You know what he'll do? Tell me what he'll do. You tell me what he'll do. He will lovingly strip those things away from our lives. He will peel the onion, right? And you know he's patient and he's gracious and he doesn't do it all at once. He's doing this to get our attention because he's a jealous love for us. And He doesn't want us leaning on anything but Him. And so one thing by one thing, He'll start pulling away until we recognize and realize that He is the only one worthy of our trust and faith. There's only one. There's only one today that's worthy of you building your life upon. There's only one today who has spoken words that will sustain you in the midst of the storm. Everything else is like shifting sand. Look, if you're going to lean on everything else, I'm telling you all that stuff can be gone in a moment. It can be gone in a moment. He's the only one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. All flesh, all grass. Of all flesh is like the grass, and the beauty of it like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures. Amen. It endures forever. The, the other thing I want to point out to you is this. When they were serious about praying, the, the devil pursued them. The devil pursued them. Hey, listen, if you're a prayer less lukewarm Christian, you're right where the devil wants you. You're right where the devil wants you. You're no threat to the kingdom of darkness. You've forgotten that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities and powers. And when you're serious about prayer, you know the devil is going to do everything he can to distract you from it because things happen when God's people pray. And Paul, Paul knew this, all right? I'm not saying he learned it, but I love the story in Acts chapter 16, 16. Paul's, um, the Bible says... Let me just read it to you. As we were going to the place of prayer. Paul's in Philippi, and he's looking for where God's people are gathered together. The scripture says, as we were going, this is Luke, to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So in other words, Paul and Silas and Luke are like, man, we're going to go to the place of prayer. We're going to pray. And the devil's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to send a little demon possessed girl, and she's going to follow you all around, and she's going to annoy you so much that you are distracted from prayer. Because the adversary knows, like I said, that when God's people pray, things happen. The devil doesn't want you meeting God in prayer. And so the devil is more than happy to meet you on the way, to distract you. When you dedicate yourself to prayer, I'm telling you, you're going to run across demons. You're going to run across distractions when you're in a place where it's like, God, you know, I'm, I'm no prayer warrior, but I want to take some steps. I want to get serious. The word that was spoken really ministered to my heart today, and I don't want to be lukewarm in prayer anymore. And so, God, you know what? I'm just going to take some steps. When you do that, the devil's going to take some steps, too. And I'm not the guy who's always looking for Satan underneath the rock. But I'm telling you, when you commit to prayer, to engage the presence of God, and to be empowered by the Spirit of God, all hell's going to break loose. You're like, God, you know what? I'm, I'm taking every morning. And I'm going to get up, and I'm going to seek your face in prayer. And the minute you do that, you guys, you know what happens. It's like the dog is barking, and your cell phone's going off. And, you know, there's demonic stuff. Your kids are getting up when they normally don't get up. I'm not calling your kids demons. (laughs) Okay? I'm I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like all hell breaks loose, right? And if you're not, if you're not spiritually aware, you find yourself getting derailed. Instead of fighting through, it's like, oh man, I gotta send this text and I gotta fix the flat and I've gotta, you know, I've gotta tend to the kids. And and you know, some of those things, some of those things need to be done. But what I'm saying to you is this you need to be, you need to be steadfast. You need to be courageous. You need to be committed, you need to be unwavering, you need to be unstoppable in your determination to be a man or a woman of prayer. You need to recognize that the adversary is trying to meet you along the way to pull you away from engaging the presence of God and His power. He will throw every trick in the book against you. Don't fall for it, okay? The second thing today, just as we're looking at Acts chapter 2, is this, um, engaging God's presence meant the empowering of God's people. So you, you know, you've seen it. You've seen the prayer. You've seen the presence. You saw the empowering. 120 disciples, they're in the upper room, and there, were, there was an empowering on each of them. I just want you to notice this, okay? Because sometimes we disqualify ourselves from the empowering of God's spirit in our life. As this is all going down, the Bible says, "'Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them "'and rested on each one of them. "'They were all filled with the Holy Spirit "'and began to speak in other tongues "'as the Spirit gave them utterance.'" Let me just go back. "'To them uh, to them, and rested on each.'" Check this out. "'Rested on each one of them.'" Divided tongues as fire. "'They were all filled with the Holy Spirit.'" and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I'm not today making an argument for everyone speaking in tongues. What I am making an argument for is this, when the Spirit of God moves and empowers his people, he doesn't leave people out. He doesn't leave, there weren't 119 empowered people. There weren't 75 empowered people. There weren't 40 empowered people. There were 120 empowered people each one of them the bible says the spirit of god rested that word means to remain on it was also used when someone would take a seat it means to remain and stay there was an empowering upon the people of god you know you might be thinking i that sounds familiar where else have i heard that well probably matthew three sixteen. You know, the Bible says this, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, remaining on him. The Spirit rested on Jesus to empower him for the work of the ministry that was set before him. This was the, this, all of this happened before he began his ministry in earnest. It happened to the early disciples, It happened in the life of Jesus, and God wants it to happen with you too. The Spirit of God resting upon your life to enable and stir your gifts for the ministry that He has called you to. Everyone, listen to me, everyone in this room, if you're a child of God, everyone has a ministry. Do you know that? Everyone has been called to the ministry. Everyone has a a work that God has determined to do through their lives. Jesus taught this. He's like, hey, when you pray, you pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Listen to me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I just want to ask you something. How does that work? How does his kingdom come? How is his will done? Through your life through your life. Look, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray that, they were, he didn't teach them to pray, hey, listen, you know, make, put, ask God to do it, put the whole thing on autopilot and make it happen. No, there's an alignment in that prayer. There's a personal alignment. There's not just a, hey, God, make that happen. It's, God, here I am. Make that happen through me. Make that happen through my life. You say, well, I've been wanting that to happen. I want to have a ministry someday. You know, I'm waiting for that. And I say to you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're waiting for it. Your ministry is right before your face. Your ministry is in your life right now. If you're a student going to school, guess what? Those students and those teachers are the ministry that God has given to you. If you are married, guess what? Your husband or your wife is the ministry that God has given to you. If you have children, the ministry that God has given to you is to raise them up as disciples. If you're working out in the community, you might be in a casino, you might be in construction, you might be in the medical industry, That is the ministry that God has given to you. If God's blessed you with a business, your business exists as a platform for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God has made you an influencer and you've got technology and social media as platforms, listen, that's a ministry. Not just to glorify yourself and tell everybody what you had for breakfast in the morning because no one cares about that. But to use it, to use it in a way where you are an influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants to empower you. Listen, God wants to empower you to do that. You need to reach out and get that. You need to stretch out. You need to demonstrate to God that that's what you want in your life. Sometimes it's like, hey, yeah, you know what, God, if you could do it, that'd be cool. Make it happen. See you later. I've got a lot of other things that I need to do today. And God's like, no, how serious are you? How serious are you about seeing my kingdom come through your life? The Israelites were blessed with manna from heaven, but remember, God didn't say, hey, put the plate outside the tent, and when you wake up in the morning, all the manna will be gathered for you. He's like, no, you need to get up. You need to get up. Listen, you need to get up, and you need to walk out, and you need to gather it yourself. You're going to have to stretch out your arms. It's going to take some action. It's, it means activity. It means your personal engagement. And the way that you engage in the calling of God on your life demonstrates, it demonstrates how much you love Him and how serious you are about His purposes. Prayer is you stretching out in faith. Prayer is how you reach for the empowering, starting every day with God, here I am, Show me your will, give me your ways, guide my steps. Here's my mouth, my hands, my arms, my feet. Use me for your purposes. That means that it happens in the good times and it means it happens in the hard times too. We've got some people in this room today that are going through hard times. Probably got one or two people today that are going through some really hard times. And you know, when we go through hard times, sometimes what we do is, is you know, we, we retreat to our bunker. We isolate ourselves. We marginalize our risk. We insulate ourselves from potential pain and hurt. And I just want to say to you today, there's a different thing for you to do. There's, there is engaging the presence and power of God through prayer Paul and Silas, you remember the story, Paul had exercised that demon from that girl, Uh, that demonic influence was making some people some serious money, and they stopped making money because this girl had been delivered from her demon, and they're mad at Paul, and they're mad at Silas, so they go to the Roman um, officials, and they say, hey, this guy, these people are really causing problems, and so you remember the story, they take Paul and Silas, they beat them with rods. And then they stick them in the dungeon, the lowest part of the prison where all the excrement would be filtering through. Enjoy your brunch today. (laughs) You know, the worst possible place and they're locked in stocks. And let me tell you what they weren't doing. They weren't complaining and they were mumbling and they weren't victimizing themselves. Silas wasn't looking at Paul and saying, dude, really man, you had to exercise that demon from that girl? (laughs) (laughs) Like, look what you've done to us. That's not even the the heart for them. So often you guys know that our reflex when we go through difficulty is all of that. But you know how the story goes. What were they doing? They were praying. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God. They were engaging the presence of God in the least likely place you would expect Him. Hey, God can move in a prison. And God can move in a church, and God can move on the strip, and God can move in your business, right? And God can move where all the the hookers and the pimps and the prostitutes are all gathered together. And God can move in the hardest areas of our city where 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 there's drugs and murder and violence. God can move anywhere. I hope you believe that today. They engage God through prayer. The presence of God was manifested as the whole prison shook and doors were flung open. And you remember that that, that prison, uh, the person overseeing the prison was about to kill himself. And Paul's like, dude, stop. He didn't say dude, but he said, dude, stop, stop. And you know how the story goes. The man says to them, what must I do to be saved? And he gives his life to Christ. And there's kingdom advancement. I just, I'm wrapping up today by saying to you that when we pray, we engage the presence of God, his power is poured out, and his kingdom advances one soul at a time. This whole part of our series is called Strong Church. And I don't know, I don't know what kind of church you want to be a part of. I know what kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that, that makes a dent in the kingdom of darkness. Yes. That's, that's, that's what I want. I want a church that experiences the power of God through prayer and fasting so much that this kind will come out and we will see it with our own eyes. I want to experience a church that is so locked into the presence of God and His power that demons flee and souls are saved, and the gospel rings like a light in the midst of darkness from the city of Las Vegas all the way to the ends of the earth. Because because if we're not going to be a praying people, no one is going to care what happens in this church. But if we are a praying people, what happens in Vegas will not stay in Vegas.